Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. Whether you're in the wine business or just living in Napa, your livelihood, your life is somehow connected to the wine business. That's why it's so important, as it has been for the past 16 years, to understand the annual Silicon Valley Bank Wine Condition Survey and its State of the Wine Industry Report. Over 500 local wineries participate in this exercise, and it's all pulled together by the founder of Silicon Valley Bank's Wine Banking Division, Rob McMillan. It is my pleasure, as always, to welcome Rob McMillan back to Napa Broadcasting. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. As we look at the wine business in general and the Napa wine business specifically, as we go into 2017, how different is it? How much has it changed, if at all, from what we looked at a year ago at the beginning of 2016? It's always an evolution. You know, this business is not a, a short-term business. We get one harvest a year. So things kind of move in, in, in slow increments, but, uh, but things are, are definitely evolving. Uh, in particular, we're seeing the evolution of the millennial consumer in the lower price premium segments. Uh, they're starting to come on a little bit more. And the, the boomer, who's um, going to be, uh, on average, uh, hitting retirement age in five years, they're, they're already hitting retirement. And 10,000 boomers a day uh, today are retiring. And that, uh, you know, when you live on a fixed income, that's going to change uh, the way you purchase things. How is this overall affecting what we see as really the, the sweet spot in terms of the purchase price of wine with boomers, as you say, having less disposable income and millennials with less income really just coming on stream? Well, today you don't see a lot of change, and that's, that's one of the reasons we do this report, because you have to look out a little bit. Um, uh, the reality is, is that the boomers and Gen X are the, are the, the cohort that, are the big buyers for Napa Valley wine. Um, the, uh, the millennials represent something around 17% of total, total purchases by dollar. So it's a, it's a very small amount. But, you know, you want to go out five years, and that's going to start to, to flip on its head. The, the young consumer coming in is going to be somewhat financially disadvantaged. And so there's some real questions in my mind. Uh, you know, what you do as a, uh, a Napa winery, or, or any winery for that matter, that is making a, a wine with, let's say, a, an entry-level price of, of uh, 30 or 35 or $45, what are, you, what are you going to do to actually have an on-ramp for that new consumer? Uh, you know, uh, today, an average, uh, the average price of a uh, ton of Napa Cabernet is, you know, somewhere between six dollars and $7,000 a ton, and it's not uncommon to have uh, $10,000 a ton, which $10,000 a ton means a $100 bottle of wine just to make a fair profit. So there's some, uh, there's some issues that the, that the industry has to come to grips with, uh, no matter what ABA you're in. And, uh, and so that's the, that's the thing we're looking at this year. And in terms of the economics of Napa wineries, what kind of pressure, price pressure, is this putting on them in terms of, of their costs? And where are we seeing an increase in winery costs? Yeah, there's, there's no question that the, that the higher price of grapes is putting pressure on wineries. They're able to raise their prices uh, a little bit in the market today. Uh, I, I question whether or not that's going to be something that is is uh, sustainable um, long term. Today, today, like I said, they can they can do it a little bit, but right now the term that's being used in the market is uh, uh, that wineries are out looking for margin. 
And by that, what I mean is that wineries are looking for grape contracts. They're looking for, to purchase vineyards, grape supplies, uh, maybe uh, an opportunity to blend in Lake County, Mendocino, some other uh, types of wine that uh, might lower their overall cost so that they can actually make a, a good return. So, yeah, there's there's definitely pressure on the wineries right now to uh, uh, to remain sustainable and, and uh, as profitable as they have uh, of late. And do you see this as leading to more consolidation, more M&A activity, more large wineries buying up small ones? Sure, that's all. That's all part of the uh, the the DNA, if you will, of the industry right now. Large wineries are out. Uh, uh, you know, Gallo Constellation, whoever is out uh, looking for wineries. Uh, you also see private equity groups looking for wineries. You see um, wineries uh, groups themselves that are out trying to figure out how to roll up uh, effectively conglomerate of wineries because we we still have a problem getting through distribution today. Um, the small wine companies just don't get distribution. They have to go direct. And, uh, you know, at a point, some wineries can say, boy, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't worth it. And if you get a price that, uh, that starts to make sense, you say, well, maybe I'll take it. You, you talked a little bit about the price of grapes. What are we seeing in the increase for marketing costs and labor costs in the industry? Yeah, good question. So what we're seeing right now in, in labor is uh, is very tight supply, and that comes from a uh, few different places. In in part, uh, we haven't been able to get through a good immigration bill uh, in the last eight years, and uh, there's some there's some executive actions that have been taking place that have put additional pressure on wineries for their own record keeper record record keeping. Excuse me, but. Um, a couple other things. The Mexican economy is is better than it used to be, and uh, people would rather stay home than you know come across the border. And the third thing, the rhetoric from the election talking about uh, a wall, uh, you know, just the that's embedded now in the in the conversation, and and people coming up from uh, from Mexico start to wonder, you know, are they going to be stopped, uh, you know, or in fact, you know, maybe that just adds to one more thing to the reason to stay home. Um, there's several other reasons why, why labor is short, but it's actually a condition that's not uh, just California, uh, just just Napa, but it's actually in agriculture across the U.S. And that's going to um, that's going to add to the cost of of uh, any kind of a agricultural product that we see on on the marketing cost side. Um, you know, we the the direct consumer approach is far more expensive than going through distribution. So we continue to see uh, wineries that are out trying to figure out ways to uh, attract the consumer. And it's you know it's much harder to sell at one bottle at a time uh, versus five, six, seven cases. Uh, you know, ten cases. You can you go to a winery as an exa- or to a restaurant as an example. And, and you know, in the old days, you used to be able to drop off four or five cases in San Francisco and. And, you know, you really can't do that anymore. What's happening in terms of restaurant sales of wine? What are we seeing? Restaurant sales in wineries have dropped precipitously over the last uh, decade. At one point, it was very normal to have at least 30% of a fine wine company's sales from restaurants. Today, with uh, consolidated distribution, the chains are getting all of the distributors' wares, if you will. So it's the large wine companies that get access to uh, 
to those restaurants. The, the smaller wine companies, the family wine companies that largely make up Napa, um, they don't get that same kind of treatment. They can go direct to trade if they want. They could. They can still perhaps uh, you know walk into white tablecloth restaurants that aren't chains and get somebody to listen to them. Uh, but the opportunity is is dramatically changed, and and the uh, the amount of revenue now that comes in from restaurants has dropped below fifteen percent uh, for the uh, for the fine wine business. Are Napa wineries seeing the impact of so many other so many new wine regions around the state and around the country? Yes and no. Um, Napa has a brand in and of itself. Napa Cabernet is is has a worldwide brand, so there's only so much that can that can go around. Um, but you know the industry itself is growing. Oregon is is growing very well. Uh, the price of land in Oregon is substantially less than it is in in Napa. Of course, it's more Pinot Noir up there. A little bit of a different model because you get a ton and a half per acre up there versus uh, you know let's call it four tons to the acre for Cabernet in Napa. So it's it's a little bit different, but we're talking about the difference between maybe three hundred thousand dollars for an acre in Napa versus thirty or forty thousand dollars an acre for for a place like Oregon. So uh, of course you're seeing uh, growth in in regions like Oregon and Washington, and to some extent the central coast of California as well. Particularly as the new consumers come on, uh, we're going to need to find a way to deliver lower cost wines that actually can be made at a profit. Talk a little bit about the importance of winery visitation in the direct sales model. Yeah, that's a wine visitation when I look at when I look at the the definition of uh, when I look at why a consumer buys wine. They buy actually anything based on value. And the way I define value isn't just price over qualities as most. I de- I define value when in a luxury good as uh, price plus experience uh, divided by quality. So the experience factor has to play in, and and for for many in um, uh, in the wine business, if you have a, a a direct program, you're probably selling most of your wine through the tasting room. You probably have people that are visiting you. Um, you might have uh, events. You probably have a wine club. You're trying to maintain that that one-on-one contact and. And the taste room becomes a, a, a critical part of that sale. And as we look at that, are we seeing more efforts being made by wineries to engage in, in really using visitation as a really powerful marketing tool? Yeah, at this point, 60% of uh, the average winery sales come in through direct means. So uh, if we don't have visitors, it's... Uh, you don't get it any other way. It's like uh, it's like having a Target that nobody ever walks into, a Target uh, gr- uh, shop or any grocery store. If people don't walk into it, nothing gets bought. So visitation is is critical to the survival of um, of the uh, family-run wine business. Has the distribution pipeline shrunk about as much as it's going to at this point, or are we going to still see further consolidation and further tightening in that area? We'll still see some additional consolidation. It's it's not quite over. I expect to to hear a, a fairly large announcement in the first quarter of this year about about another um, acquisition, another uh, merger, if you will. Um, as uh, you know, we seem to be marching towards this era of of one one distributor 
covering the entire United States. Uh, uh, but of course, that's that's part of the problem because they don't cover all the United States, even if they cover all the states. Um, they're, the the wine companies are going to go into the regions and the cities that can deliver uh, enough volume that can actually move the needle. So the second and tertiary markets uh, end up getting left in the dust. And you would think that those situations would be filled with new startup distributors, but it doesn't seem to have uh, have happened, uh, probably for many reasons. Protectionism from the distribu- uh, distributors would be one of them. Uh, undercapitalization is another one, many others, but uh, but that seems to be a slow, uh, a slow solution, at least in the market. What about international sales? What are we seeing in terms of Napa Valley wines being sold internationally? Napa and, and most of the fine wine business in the U.S. doesn't really export a lot of what we produce. Uh, it's somewhere around 3%. Uh, it's actually you know, quite, a small, quite a small amount. We, the U.S. is the dominant wine consumer in the world. And uh, I think for, for many family wine family-run wineries, it's much easier to sell in your own backyard than think about all of the other paperwork uh, and, and cost that goes into uh, not only shipping, but building a brand offshore. You know, for instance, if you wanted to sell into China, you know, who do you work with on, on the logistics side to actually get your brand there? And then how do you build that brand in a different culture and then think about the cost of going there. It's going to cost you for three weeks over there. It'll cost you thirty thousand dollars. That's a that's a lot of bottles to sell. So naturally, we don't sell all that many uh, bottles offshore. Inevitably, I think we we need to to be a worldwide brand. We've got to uh, probably up that a little bit. But we also have a very strong dollar right this second, right. and it seems to be strengthening. And so what that does is it allows for other imports onto our own beaches. In particular, this past year, we've seen fairly strong growth in, in French rosé, New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and um, Italian Pinot Grigio. Has the effort to bring direct-to-consumer shipping gotten any easier? It's been made easier because of uh, technology. Uh, Ship Compliance is a company that has been able to track all of the changes in in each state that has to be tracked in order to ship each state might you know one state might say okay well you got to have this license and pay the $200 fee and then the next week they may say oh man that's $50 more and you know we want we want the following kind of information from you and so keeping up with all of those 50 different states is is incredibly difficult it's made easier with uh, you know computational power, but uh, ship compliant is actually a an entity that's probably taken 15 years and, and through some iterations of different people and different companies to actually get to the point where it's actually uh, useful and, and uh, it's uh, a company that's fairly well uh, well ingrained now throughout the business. Are we seeing a degree of protectionism within states right now, where certain states have tried? to develop their own wine industry? Has it become more difficult to ship into some states because of that? It's getting easier to ship into most states. Um, the, the battleground at this point seems to be more on the retail side. If you have a, uh, a retailer that in a, within a state um, that wants to ship uh, you know, to the people within the state, there's, there have been some recent laws that have been passed. Uh, might have been Michigan. I'm, I'm not 
draw a blank exactly in which day. It was just one, it was a, a central U.S. state, um, and you know they they effectively passed a, a law that uh, said you know if you if you're from out of state, you can't you can't ship as a retailer in state, but our own retailers can. So I'm I'm pretty certain that'll get pulled into the courts. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a long and slow process. There's a, a lot of money at stake, and and uh, uh, you know, both uh, politicians and wholesalers uh, alike uh, have um, have uh, a lot at stake. What would you prioritize as the biggest concerns that Silicon Valley Bank, for example, would have in lending in the wine industry in Napa right now? You know, I, I think when you look at concerns, you have to. Uh, Risk is something that everybody uh, intuits. Or let me let me say that a different way. The unknown is something that everybody intuits as risk. So if you don't understand what's going on, you're you're probably going to be very uncomfortable. In a very complex business like the wine business, really is, um, it can make you very uncomfortable. We we feel that we know what we're doing, and so we're we're really comfortable with the, the risks that we take. I think we help our clients succeed. We have uh, a fantastic track record of, of helping our 350 or so winery clients here in the West Coast, and uh, so we don't we don't really see uh, fear from that standpoint. But we we do see uh, you know where the future is taking us, and so we need to have conversations with our clients right now about what does that look like for your future brand. Um, how do you how do you make that on ramp for the new consumer? That's uh, that's coming on. Um, you know, what does it look like uh, as we move through things like the red blend category? How does that consumer come out the other side? So these are all kind of consulting questions that we we ask in partnership, really, with our clients um, to try to find solutions that to uh, to help them succeed and navigate through uh, through otherwise might what might be choppy waters. And finally, does technology play a significant role in what we're seeing in the wine business today? Is there any kind of disruptive technology out there on the horizon that you look at as something that could either be a positive or a negative force down the road? Technology is a is a component plays in almost everything. Uh, you know, there are drones that are used in in agriculture now, uh, so you can you can look at uh, you know the different. Uh, Water evaporation, you know, water uptake. Um, you can look at disease through you know, using drone technology. There's uh, different uh, kind of sensors you can put in, in vineyards now uh, that uh, that automate all of that. So you, uh, somebody that's uh, the wine, the vineyard manager can look at his screen from home and, and, and monitor a lot of things and turn on the water when it needs to be turned on and turn it off when it needs to start fans when they need. So there's, there's a lot of, of technologies that have continued to be added over the years. Uh, the one kind of technology that I think would be, uh, it's needed, and, uh, and I think that we'll get there eventually, is, um, is a way for the small winery, since they can't go through wholesale anymore, to, to help on the direct-to-consumer side and uh, instead of actually having to have everybody run through the tasting room, uh, actually use big data and and figure out where in the other 49 states customers for your small brand might exist and and how you might use uh, you know online 
means uh, to attract those customers. So that would be the kind of, of dynamic change in, in a technology platform. I think that would that would help the, the business out quite a bit. Well, Lots of reasons why it hasn't happened yet, but it's uh, but at some point I think we'll we'll see that come to fruition. Well, we'll certainly look for that in the years ahead. Rob McMillan, Silicon Valley Bank, talking about this year's State of the Wine Industry Report. Rob, it is always a pleasure. I thank you so much for your time. Have a great year. Thank you. You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com, Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.